Hi, everybody. It's Dawn coming to you with another episode of Out of the Spiritual Closet with Dawn and Spirit. And for today, I'm joined with a special guest, Dr. Deborah Greenhunt, PhD, um, who I met at Patapalooza, an event I attended in the beginning of December. But Deborah and I experienced a little mercury retrograde. Um, when that happens, technical communications go haywire, everything. So we are actually re-recording today. So we don't even know where this podcast is going to take us. But um, I'm very appreciative of Dr. Deborah, as I've given her this nickname, and I can't get it out of my head. Um, I'm very appreciative of her giving me some additional time to get the messages out. And just a little bit about Dr. Deborah Greenhunt. She is a, a caregiver. She has been a caregiver and she spent a great deal of her life um, in that capacity, maybe not a great deal, but a deal, a time period in her life. And she's going to talk to us or talk with us today. The conversation is about who cares for the caregivers. And I think it's really huge that we keep that in mind because many of us are already experiencing longer lifespans. And with that can come not perfect bodies and not perfect health. So just a little bit about Dr. Deborah. She is um, an award-winning author of The Hoarder's Wife, and she speaks on difficult subjects in family mental health. She speaks from personal experience and research to improve caregivers' quality of life. And though that the mental health aspect is not where she is degreed, please understand that she is degreed and takes the research to a whole nother level when it is involving her and her family. So. Welcome, Dr. Deborah. So happy to have you here. Do you want to say hello and a few words about yourself? Please do. Well, hi, Dawn, and hi, audience. It, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, I'm really excited that you gave me this opportunity to speak because often we're finding um, there's so many caregivers. There are 55 million or so, according to AARP. I think in 2020, it was 53 million, but it's rapidly increasing because we're aging and more people do need caregivers. But do you know that we are also the largest unpaid workforce in the world? Wow. And that's uh, that accounts for about 600, over $600 billion in free labor that we contribute. So while there's a beautiful side of caregiving, it can be very enriching and rewarding. At the same time, there's an imbalance in terms of the compensation a person might receive that would help them to take care of their lives better when the caregiving is over. So as you're saying that, Dr. Deborah, I'm, I'm hearing too, is that like, it's not only the financial cost, right? It, it, that's a big part because as the caregiver, you're giving up so much time and energy. And, you know, some would say, well, if you were getting paid for a second job, you could hire someone to come in and clean your house or do your grocery shopping, but you're not getting paid. Um, and then I would think there's also, you know, besides the physical aspect with all of that happening, there has to be a mental aspect that starts to come into play because we are not taking care of ourselves. Sure, the mental, emotional, and physical problems that can result often 
will shorten a person's life prematurely. In fact, as we age, in fact, as you get to 70, the odds are that you might be the one as the caregiver to die first because of the toll that this has taken. Okay, wait a second. Wait a second. (laughs) Let's just stop for a second on that. So by age 70, as a caregiver, the toll taken on yourself can lead to your early death? Exactly. They say that somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of elder caregivers will die first. So it's not just important. I mean, it's just not something to think about. It's really important that we start making changes in this because most of us will be caregivers at some point in our life or need someone to caregive for us. I'm glad you said that because uh, the late Rosalind Carter who was the beloved director of the Center for, for uh, Caregivers, said exactly that, that we'll either need one, we'll be looking for one, or we'll become one before our lives are over. So we, nobody will escape. Nobody will get out free on this one. Kind of like taxes and death. <laughs> Caregiving is as certain as death and taxes, yes. Wow, that's huge. And I know I've I've shared with you on our first interview, um, my own family, my grandmother passed from Alzheimer's, dementia. Um, and I know the toll that took on our family um, among the sisters. And then my husband has um, had his share of medical as as have I. So um, I've sat in all the different seats. But, you know, I can say the difference probably Um, and maybe you could speak to this is ours were shorter durations and that's like a crisis situation. So I think most of us can rise up for the crisis situation, but then there's a whole nother sector of people that this has become their everyday reality. And the only end is the end of the person that they love. Oh, that's heavy. (laughs) Yeah, they call Alzheimer's the long goodbye. And in some cases, it may take 20 years for the disease to run its course. And that is probably the most brutal 20 years of two people's lives. Um, You know, and it's, it's unfortunate. And without some relief, the other person who is the caregiver is not going to fare very well either. Um, And sometimes there's a, a joint illness in the family that may go undiscovered. So the caregiver may not get some attention that would have assisted in prolonging or at least improving the quality of of their own lives. And that makes sense to your point about by the age 70, because when we should be being sensitive to our bodies, um, taking care of ourselves, and we have to, um, out of love, out of need, take care of this other person, we're not making those doctor's appointments. We're not taking daily walks. We're not, get, you know, taking time for meditation because it's, I would assume, not having done it to your degree, but it's almost like having a newborn baby. Pretty much. Because every need is yours and they can't do it for themselves. And sometimes they can't even communicate. Right. It's often difficult to figure out what's bothering them. The phenomenon of sundowning for Alzheimer's is particularly acute um, and everything needs to be managed. There's no spontaneity anymore. The more routine you have, the better. But of course, that cuts into any routine you might have wanted to have for yourself uh, because you're still covering emergencies during the routine. Mm -hmm. 
So I had some experience with Alzheimer's. Um, the first care, major caregiving episode I had was with my dad. My mother died on one Thanksgiving morning and two and a half months later, my father passed away. But in that two and a half months, he was declining from uh, heart disease. And I didn't realize how sick he was because there was so much going on that I also had to take care of. Um, and uh, as I drove him to the hospital, his heart was dividing in half in my car. Driving. And it was it was terrifying. It was exhausting. And it was, you know, the worst carnival ride I've ever been on in so many ways. And, of course, then the grief process, which had never started for my mother. Right. Because right. you didn't have that space for that because you were in action mode. Yeah. And unfortunately, right after that was when my husband began to suffer from some mental disorder breakdowns. And uh, I, we didn't. So not- basically, your whole world exploded at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that often happens. That's not a rare right. story as it turns right. out. Right. You know, often, you know, a spouse will be aging and going through some similar things. So uh, families are often in crisis at a time in their lives when they're supposed to be retired, the golden years. And that doesn't always happen for people not to be so grim on a Monday morning, but no, it's, it's reality, you know, and I think that you know, part of my podcast is out of the closet, right? And I think that my goal too, and I, I, I believe we kind of share that is opening these conversations up. We're not saying that you or I have all the answers, but we know a few tricks and we want to start opening the conversation, normalizing these feelings that the caregiver has like, cause, oh, it's all supposed to be roses. And I just till death do us part. And I want to take care of this person. No, it's freaking hard. right? <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah, you, you want to take care of the person, but there are only 24 hours in the day. And if you aren't sleeping, there's sleep not- deprivation, deprivation. I can't speak to you. deprivation. Deprivation is huge in yeah. mental health too. Yeah. And because you don't know the person is no longer on a on a regular circadian rhythm type clock in those situations. And you don't know when you're going to be able to sleep calmly without wondering if that person's wandering around or there's some other problem brewing that you just can't see yet. And I guess the other piece of it is that if the government's not going to pay for it, Medicare is not going to pay for it, and we have no resources for it, and family won't step up, how will this play out? You know, this is what the crisis that a lot of seniors are facing now. We just don't have the resources to handle what is a huge health problem uh, and becoming a huger health problem for the the caregivers. So. Yeah, that's like so huge on so many levels. I think of um, my kids even, you know, they're starting out in their careers and their lives with their families and that. And if something even five, 10 years down the road, you know, you don't want to burden them with taking care of me or my husband because they have lives to lead. But then again, there may come a point where we would need the help. So. And and there are places where even if you can't afford it, there are no caregivers available to Mm -hmm. pay for. So uh, we we do have a crisis already, and uh, it's only going to get bigger as the boomers and others are aging. So you're not very forward thinking as a society, right? (laughs) We want to live longer. Okay, great. But (laughs) 
<laughs> There's that quality of life thing that quality, we don't. Yeah, I'll take quality over quantity any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to be said for that. So I know you've had experience with the caregiving. We've talked a little bit about that without going too much into the personal things. What are some things that you would suggest to a caregiver um, to keep them a little bit, to keep them out of crisis first? Yeah, I think if it's possible before you say, yes, I'll do it and embrace the the uh, the problem without any critical thinking, I would sit down and think about, well, how stressed am I at the start of this? What are the things I can't do that I wish I could do? And how will I get to those if I take on this burden? Because it's much larger than we imagine it is in the first place. Um, some people... Uh, my partner who had Alzheimer's had 14 doctors I had to arrange appointments for. And that was just one thing that I was taking care of. So how would I fit in the writing that I wanted to do? How would I fit in seeing my grandchildren? Mm-hmm. All these questions were never answered in advance. And suddenly I found myself very stressed because my outlets were gone and my ability to be with my own family were disappearing was disappearing. So you need to think very carefully up front, what kind of time do I need for my needs? And don't put your needs aside. That's the hugest mistake that most of us will make out of love. We care for the person and we want to take care of them. And for love, I will do anything. Well, then you're going to pay a price. Yeah, it's the old cookie jar um, story. You can't give anybody else a cookie if your cookie jar is empty. And I firmly believe that. Um, Okay, so kind of really being, um, instead of with your heart, with your mind and your brain, looking at the situation objectively. Yes, you may want to be there and do X, Y, and Z, but do you have the space and the capacity? Yeah, I do. I do life coaching, uh, and especially for caregivers when I can. Uh, the um, idea of doing a stress management evaluation before you start a big project like this, and it is a project, um, is a good idea to look at all of the impacts on you: your health, your spiritual uh, feelings. Do you have time to go to temple or or church or wherever it is that, however you enable yourself um, to feel at one with with the universal. Uh, Those kinds of of questions need to be answered ahead of time. Um, I found myself not not being able to practice that, among other things. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of those areas will suffer. And, you know, pretty soon you're going to have to reinvent the wheel to put your health back in place um, or lose it. So I would say anything you can do, first of all, in advance is good. And you need to do course corrections along the way. If you find that's huge, you're not seeing your grandchildren or you're not able to practice your hobby, whether it's stamp collecting or a dance class, whatever it is that you want to do, if those things are disappearing altogether, it's time to say, wait a second, we need to find some other resources and they need to be good ones. I mean, I've had people try to help me and then their car died that morning. So not only didn't I go to my class, I didn't get any help. And that was, that was almost a worse setback than just maintaining the status quo. So, so we really need to think about those things before and during, and you need to have a plan for after because grief, which is often the end of the trail is going to come up hard. 
and you're going to be exhausted when it does if you haven't taken care of these things. And that's when health can really suffer. Um, do you think that guilt also comes into play then too at the end? Um, because if you don't take the time for yourself, because maybe you didn't present the right way, or I should have done X, Y, Z, and you know, to save yourself that. I think guilt and anger are two dominant emotions. Um, You know, I feel guilty toward myself. I feel angry that I, I may be angry at the person I was caring for or the family of the person I was caring for. There are a lot of ways in which the uh, negative emotions will intersect with any feelings of positive, um, the positive pleasure you can get from taking care of someone. So there's a lot of contradictory impulses that you have to resolve at the end of it. And if that doesn't throw you out of alignment somewhere, I don't know what would. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. What if you didn't meet Dr. Deborah till after you're in crisis? What do we do then? What if we've already, we're in the midst of this, we've been caring for a significant other, parent, child, whoever, um, for six months and we are burnt. What do we do then? Well, one of the, the best cures for burnout is to look at, uh, do a map of the situation. Where are the biggest stressors? Where are the gaps between what you wish you could accomplish and what you're not able to even start? And how would we go about improving or repairing those gaps, filling those gaps with quality time for you. And often there are resources we haven't thought about, or we haven't been as assertive with family members as we needed to be to get the help we needed, or we haven't spent the money. Um, We may have it and we're afraid to spend it, or we don't know the community has some resources that we could use. Um, Did my dad want to take the community bus to the senior center every day? No. He wanted to be with me, but should I have insisted that he take some other time so I'd have time to work on my mother's estate, which I was also trying to do? Yes, I should have been more insistent. On the other hand, it was only two months in you know looking back, but it was the worst two months of my life to that moment because of all the stress. So we need to look at what could be fixed? Where are the gaps, the little things that we can do? You know, I used to teach time management. And um, one of the things we learn is that we try to do big things to solve a problem, where if we did a lot of tiny changes, tiny adjustments, we'd get the time back, not as an hour, maybe, but as 10 minutes at the end of the day to say, okay, what's tomorrow going to look like? Yeah. To give I some- love that. I love that. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer you know, that you, all those little actions lead to those bigger goals. Um, if you, And it's no different if you have a weight loss journey, right? Well, you start eating healthier, start adding exercise, you know, these different things. So yeah, that's huge because there, may, there can be numbing things. There could be distracting things that we're wasting, putting our time in just to, just to, soothe our emotional bodies, just to soothe our minds and forget about it for a moment. But then that's actually robbing us of that 15 minutes to sit and meditate or shimmy, shimmy dance and have a good time. So yeah, I remember, I I like that you said that it was um, like the diet, because in a way, if you try to manage time, like a crash diet, 
try to fix it all at once, it it will not work for you and you end up eating the chocolate anyway. So um, that's what would happen um, in terms of of, of uh, creating moments of time. If you try to create an hour, it's never going to be that way. So same consequence, I think, as the crash diet. I love that. I love that. Okay. So some tips if you, before crisis, during crisis, What's one thing you wish somebody would have told you prior to going down this road? I wish that someone had asked me to take a look at my, the way I wanted my day to be, to look at the daily run of things, not the big things like could I, you know, get to a wedding or something like that. But how did I want my day to go? And what kinds of help would I need to make that work? And that's that's big. That's big. Like looking at your day and what would make it a nice day. Mm -hmm. And like you said before, I think it's also yeah, maybe an hour break isn't going to be feasible. But can you find 15 minutes to to breathe? And it makes me think of when I was watching my grandkids, um, because they're quite spirited grandchildren. And after a couple hours, I was like, I just need five minutes to stand outside and feel the whatever it was just to reset my own nervous system. Yeah, because we're used to it. I think as we, we're older also, we're used to taking a few minutes here and there during the day. We do it sure because, enough. you know, we need to. But um, as a younger person, maybe we don't think of that. But that was one thing. The other is that our expectations of family are often realistic. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, but it's true. I, well, I can laugh now, but I was not laughing then, that's for sure. And it's interesting how people step away and decide, oh, okay, you're doing it, so I don't have to, or no, I. they just say no. And they're thinking about their own day, but you you may become resentful, or I certainly did become resentful, that they wouldn't do anything to help. You know, that I couldn't, I could get people to come over and visit and occupy me while I was trying to get five minutes to do something else. But if I left the room, they'd keep calling me back. So even those, you know, few minutes that I thought I could steal for myself, I couldn't. And you really have to plan for that. You have to understand that that could happen and have a plan for what you're going to do to get that time if it's not going to come from those people. So and and unfortunately, in the in the thick of caregiving, it's awfully hard to tap that part of your brain that plans and, you know, the analytical side that can forecast what you need. It's gone because you're so busy. So it doing some of that in advance or taking a big step back and saying, okay, I need a week. So we need to use respite care or, or some other solution so that I can figure out how to go forward. You know, I'm stuck here and I need to go forward. So I need well, to. Yeah. And I think that's huge um, that we take a moment and think about these things because it's like most uncomfortable things in life. Nobody wants to face it until it's right in front of you. And it's so hard to face these things when you're in crisis. Right. I mean, at 28, if my child was up all night with a strep throat or whatever conditions kept seemed to keep coming on, I could stay up all night and face the next day. And I wasn't happy, but I could do it. At 68, not so much. 
uh, a loss of a night's sleep is really bad for me at this point. I'm, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. yeah, so I know that I can't do that forever. I just can't keep going for a week of not sleeping and expect to be functional. It, it's not going to happen. So these are things we need to know could happen. And what are we going to do on the days that they do? Have a plan. That Have a plan. Um, also, Dr. Deborah is a life coach. Are you still life coaching? Yes, right? Yes. And so if you are struggling with your role as a caregiver, or you're actually planning ahead and wanting to gain some tips and some insights, we'll have some links below this video, below the podcast, that you can reach out to her and check out her services, what she's offering, and how you could work with her. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I'm a big believer of that we don't have to know everything in this lifetime, but we have to know when to ask for help. Um, find a mentor, find a coach, find a book, find an organization, find whatever resonates with you, but don't think you need to do it alone would be my contribution to this. Um, so I would highly endorse working with Dr. Deborah because she's lived it. She's experienced it. And her goal is to help others not struggle like she did through the process. And, you know, there, there's another piece that we didn't even really touch on today. But it's a future podcast. But um, what happens to the caregiver's mental health? And even when it's over, who is picking that caregiver up? and bringing them back to life. Because even though the work is done, there's a lot of, I would assume, emotional fallout after it's over and you breathe and you look back. And we, we talked a little bit about anger, you know, guilt, whatever it may be. So no matter where you're at in the process, if you're alone, find somebody to support you. And Dr. Deborah's group um, on her site, you'll be able to find out about her, how to work with her and what she offers her clients. So also, if you're interested, she is a published author and there's going to be a link for her book that you can purchase it if you're interested in reading her book. So thank you so much. Any parting words for our audience? I hope we do a better job because everyone deserves a quality of life. It's why we live in this country. And it's so important to us in order to keep advancing in the world. We have so much to offer. And we need to be able to do that. And I thank you so much, Dawn. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciated your time and your energy. And I hope everybody listening gathers one little thing, if not more, but at least one little thing to help support you. Remember, reach out, find a support person, find an organization, find a group, find somewhere to nourish your soul. So thank you so much, everybody. And until next time, bye-bye.